welcome to the Unified CXM Experience. And I am Grad Khan, CXO, Chief Experience Officer at the publicly listed NYSE company Sprinkler. And our ticker symbol is CXM. All right. So I am going to talk about progress bars today. I know. You're thinking, you know, Grad, you're just not talking about progress bars enough. I just I want to hear more about them. Uh, progress bars are what I'm all about. And, uh, you know, today's your lucky day. So um, I actually want to talk about waiting and the, and the concept of time and, and how time works at different speeds when we're doing different things and, and some general concepts around time dilation. So um, I'll start with a little bit of a story about Detroit. So Detroit is um, a city in the middle of the United States, um, had uh, suffered significantly during the financial crisis in 2008, but had been in long-term decline for many, many years. And it was full of abandoned homes. And these abandoned homes were obviously a huge problem. They'd be full of uh, vermin. They, you know, attracted, you know, you know, the wrong element. They were dangerous. You know, you didn't want your kids playing. They were, you know, broken roofs. So the floors were rotted. They were, you know, you couldn't really walk inside them. They were an eyesore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so they needed to be taken down. So the city started a demolition project and they were removing and destroying these abandoned homes. But, you know, people were very impatient because people wanted the abandoned home next to their property destroyed next. And, you know, they didn't know where they were and when they were going to be coming. And people got frustrated. They were calling the 1-800 numbers. They were calling the city. They're, you know, wasting a lot of time for the city workers and everyone was pretty upset. And so, they came up with a solution. And before I tell you about the solution, I'm going to kind of go through an article. It's about this story. I'm going to kind of just sort of walk through this article in the podcast, um, but also give you uh, sort of some, uh, a little bit of cue on where to get it. And you'll see this if you are getting this podcast off the blog, CopernicanShift.com. Uh, you can see it there. Uh, and I'll just tell you where I read this article and where I got it from. So I don't know if you read the site 99percentinvisible.org. Uh, it's fantastic. But go to 99percentinvisible.org forward slash episode forward slash wait dash wait dash tell dash me. Wait, wait, tell me. And uh, so this is a really fantastic article about user experience. And, you know, in the... Unified CXM world, we, we talk awful lot about unified IDs. We talk about creating a cohesive experience for the customer. We don't, haven't talked as much about the role of UX and user design in that world. And we're going to do a little bit more of that. And we're going to kind of kick that off today. All right. So let's go back in time. You know, if I had, um, if I had the, what is the Mike Myers? Uh, go back in time here. And um, with uh, Garth and, um, oh my God, what's the, uh, what's the name of that show, Randy? Um, on SNL. Wayne's World. Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. How could I forget that? Thank you. Um, so remember Wayne's World where, you know, Garth and who's the other? So Mike was playing what role? Um. Can't remember either. Yeah, that's all right. That's good. Let me see if well, you feel a bit Wayne. better. He's Wayne. He's okay. Wayne and Garth. Wayne and Garth. Okay. Yeah. Right. Wayne's World. Right. Of course. <laughs> what I'm talking about. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Oh boy. Uh, all right. So Wayne and Garth, they would, they would often talk whenever they went back in time, they always did this sort of thing with their hands. So they'd wave them and they'd make this sort of wooishy sound. So imagine that just happened. Um, <laughs> and we're going to go back in time to the early 1980s, uh, with the first office computer, the first PC, which was called the Xerox star. And uh, there's actually a great book about the Xerox star um, by Jason Farman. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Maryland, and he wrote a book about it called Delayed Response, The Art of Waiting from the Ancient World to the Instant World. And although the star was one of the fastest computers of its time, it didn't feel fast. People overwhelmingly felt it was a slow machine. It seemed to take forever to load. It seemed to take forever to exchange files in the and they believe that this perception of slowness on the star may have had something to do with the design of the loading icons. So early computers like the star were uh, the very first to use loading icons, but they were static icons. Uh, even on Mac at the time, um, they had a static icon. So on the star, they had a hourglass and it just sat there. It wasn't moving in any way, shape or form. It was just an hourglass saying, wait, uh, on the Macs, they had a wristwatch. I don't know if you remember that. But it was also static. I would just say, wait. Now, at some point, they started animating them, but it really wasn't super duper helpful because there was a sense of powerlessness, a sense of lack of control over what was going on. And, and then, then they had like the sort of, there's a loading icons where there'd be animated spinners. Like, I'm sure you remember all those. And again, there was like, okay, I get the computer's doing something, but uh, was this going to be 10 minutes, an hour? Three seconds? Like, how long is this going to take? And that feeling of powerlessness was a really big problem. Because when you don't know how long something's going to take, it seems to take a lot longer. Uh, I'll use another example for this effect. You've all had this experience. So do you know when you're trying to find a new place you've never been to before? Like a restaurant, or you're, you're going to a new gym, or you're trying to find a business, or whatever that is. And you're following a map, or you're following directions, and maybe it's a little bit complicated or maybe it's a place you've not been to before and you're really not sure exactly where it is it just seems to take forever to get there you get there you do whatever you need to do and then you drive back the same way you came and isn't it always shocking how quick that drive seems to be how short it seems to be it's just why wow, i don't remember going by so quickly it's because when you're waiting and when you're anticipating, your brain is processing more inputs. And as it's doing that, it essentially fills up more and seems to take more time. And then when you're going back over the same territory, your brain fills in. I know all this. I don't need to kind of take in new information and things seem to take less time. And so by not giving people any guidance on how much time the computer was taking, our brains were filling it in and it just seemed forever because our brains are going crazy waiting for it to finish. So I'm going to introduce a new character, someone named Brad Myers. Uh, he had just finished his bachelor's degree at MIT. He was working at a tech company. And he was actually struggling with these loading icons as well. But he remembered an even older time. So Wayne and Garth, now we're going back to the 70s, okay? And in the 70s, they used to do this thing where they had dots, 
So while the compiler was running on a mainframe, it would like print out a dot on the screen every now and then. So you would know at least it was making progress. It wouldn't just be a flat static icon. And so that just that a little bit of information about progress, that the thing was still working, it was printing dots on the screen, allowed people to may have a more bearable waiting experience because they could tell it was doing something. So um, he came up with something that was a more sophisticated version of the dots, which was the progress bar. Please wait while installing the progress bar. We've all had thousands, if not maybe hundreds of thousands of progress bars shoved in front of our faces over the last couple of decades. And they were a huge improvement. The only problem is progress bars were not always perfect. Because if you remember a progress bar, they would sometimes go fast. It was very exciting. And they would hit some kind of computational snag where things took a little bit longer. And suddenly it would just slow down. What's going on? Why is the progress bar not moving anymore? Then it would speed up. Then it would slow down again. And so there was anxiousness created by the progress bar, even though overall they reduced the amount of anxiousness. And so then what happened is they started really digging into the psychology of waiting and really trying to understand why things feel slower than they really are. It's all about expectations. And so they started playing with progress bars. And instead of having the progress bar reflecting the work the computer is doing, uh, what they decided to do is to start off the progress bar slow, set your expectations for a long wait, and then speed up near the end so that you end up feeling pleasantly surprised. It's all about expectations management, right? Shoot low, deliver high. And it's amazing. So this therapy, essentially the progress bar became divorced from the reality of what the computer was doing and became connected to the reality of how do you make someone feel less anxious about the weight and how do you make them feel really great about the ending of the weight? We actually had a really interesting webinar that we did. Oh, wow. Boy, probably two years ago with Gardner. And we should pull this up, Randy, and uh, see if we can make it maybe one of these episodes. But in there, one of the Gardner analysts, and I'll have to, we'll have to kind of dig back and sort of find all this. But he talked about a really interesting concept that the way people judge an experience is they judge it by the most frustrating or the most pleasing part of the journey in the middle of the journey and the ending. Uh, and so being having the ending faster and having the progress bar complete more quickly, people were more easily delighted. And it's true on computers, and it's true on lines at Disneyland. Uh, essentially, the front-loaded loading bar tricked you into feeling like you were waiting for less time than you actually were. And uh, in the early 2000s, that idea of trying to manipulate the user's experience of time really took off, especially with the big online retail companies whose profits depended on keeping customers on their websites. In fact, there was one study that showed that when a customer using Amazon.com at the time, if they had to wait for an additional tenth of a second on the website, Amazon could lose up to 1% of their revenue, which is a massive amount of, re of revenue and money. And so Google, Amazon, and many other online players started pouring millions of dollars into speeding up their websites and engineering them so they'd run faster. But they also started looking at new ways to do what the front-loaded loading bar did, which is how to trick our brains into thinking things were going faster than they were. 
And um, there were some times that you just couldn't go any faster. I think travel websites had to query a bunch of third-party sites. They were dependent on API speeds and uh, a bunch of fairly complex queries as well. And so, and these would sometimes take several seconds, which is a very, very long time. So one travel site came along and they actually created a second revolution in the progress bar, uh, which is kayak.com. Now, if you remember what kayak.com did and does, um, and very, very clever, is they brought in this concept of transparency into the progress bar. So uh, Ryan Buell is a professor at the Harvard Business School, and he says that kayak couldn't avoid making its customers wait because they needed to do a fresh query every time the customer searched for a new ticket. So what they did is they changed the way they understood waiting. They just said, hey, look, why don't we just show them what we're doing? And so instead of a progress bar, Kayak designed an animation that showed the user not only what percentage of the job had been completed, but exactly what the search algorithm was doing as it was doing it. And of course, you know, that gave you something to think about. And also you'd look at and think, wow, look at all the work that Kayak's doing. And I can't even imagine what it would take for me to do all that work by myself and uh, check every single one of those airlines on, my own, on their own sites. It would take forever. So suddenly Kayak looked like it was doing a near impossible task incredibly quickly because of the transparency. I've talked about Domino's quite a bit in this sort of context. I think Domino's did this brilliantly. Uh, and they sort of, I think, essentially leveraged Uber. I mean, Uber created the ultimate in transparency because you always knew where your car was and when it would arrive. And suddenly a seven minute wait wasn't very long because you knew when it was going to arrive and it would be there. Uh, Domino's did the same thing. Instead of telling you it'll be there in 20 minutes, they showed you each stage the pizza was at. Hey, we're making it. Hey, it's in the oven. Hey, it's out of the oven. Hey, it's in the box. Hey, it's in the car. It'll be there. Like that, that step-by-step piece just gave people reassurance and comfort of where they were going to be. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of times, and I'll just mention it again because we're in the context. I saw a Domino's delivery truck, like a sh- shipping truck, probably had, you know, four million packages of cheese inside it, and a very large truck. And they even had the Domino's progress bar on the side of the truck. And it showed what stage of the overall system that truck represented, which was, you know, shipment to warehouse. It was very cool and I thought it was very funny and very interesting sort of evolution of the progress bar into this transparent set of steps in terms of what they're doing and how they're doing it. So let's come back to Detroit. So we've had this evolution from static icons to progress bars to front-loaded progress bars to transparent progress bars showing us what's going on and how we're doing it. Now we come back to Detroit, Michigan. And so Buell, come back to our Mr. Buell again, he'd been um, publishing his research on transparency for a full, for a few years, and it got into the hands of a man named Brian Farkas. And he's the director of special projects at the Detroit Building Authority. That's the agency responsible for managing the city's demolition program. He started that job you know, many years ago, and people were calling the city with the same question. How long am I going to have to wait for the city to demolish this abandoned home on my block. And his job was to communicate with the public, but there was no system to actually get the information to people and no way to explain really why things were taking so long. And people got very upset on the phone and it became quite a burden for his department. So he decided to look at Ryan Buell's research and then move into an era of radical transparency for Detroit. And so what he built is the Neighborhood Improvement Tracker. 
and it's a window into all the work the city was doing on the demolition program, and people could track which houses were going to come down and when. And that level of transparency led to a better workplace for his employees, a better city to live in, and help people feel more comfortable that it was scheduled, it was going to happen. Uh, this is when it was going to happen, and they could see what was happening everywhere. And so uh, he worked with community organizers and they tested it out. And, um, you know, the reaction from many people was one of joy. We often talk about at Sprinkler, you know, what our goal is to help our customers make their customers happier. And this would be a great example of using UX and transparency to make people happier by allowing people to understand what was happening and allow the weight to be bearable because I know when it's going to end and they, people had answers that they were looking for and they were able to move on with their lives. It's obviously not perfect, but it was a transparent dynamic between the city government and the residents. And more of that would probably be very helpful. I say, for example, I think pothole tracker would be an excellent tool for most cities to have because you always wonder when are they going to fill this pothole? Well, you know, Tell us when they're going to fill the pothole. And if you know it's going to be September the 2nd, then it's like, all right, I'll just, you know, September 2nd is going to get filled and that'll be great. Of course, the one thing about this is, you know, you got to make sure that you fill the pothole on September 2nd because then all hell's going to break loose. That's the CXM experience. I'm Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler. We've been talking about UX and progress bars, and I will see you next time.